0: Right. Thank you, Pastor Daniel. Thank you, worship team. Why don't we uh, give a round of applause to the worship team? All right. They're awesome, aren't they? Right. There goes our wonderful youth group upstairs. If uh, you happen to be in... Yeah, there you go. Give them a round of applause. All right. If you happen to be in the 6th to 12th grade... You're welcome to join our youth upstairs for a time of uh, fun fellowship and in getting into the word. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, how's everybody doing this morning? You good? If you're here, you must be good, right? At least, at least for a little while, for a little while, okay? Well, I, I want to add my welcome to you all. Welcome here to the Bridge Church. We're all about reaching people in this community, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and hence our name, we want to build bridges into people's lives. So I uh, want to announce this morning, big announcement, I'm starting a new series this week. This will go for the next four weeks, I believe, although we may do some adjustments, who knows. But uh, <laughs> if nobody shows up, we'll do something different. Okay. anyway. <laughs> Just saying. We're flexible here at the Bridge Church. Okay. But we are starting a new service uh, or series today, as you can see on on our backdrop. Intersections of love. But we'll get to that in a minute. First, I want to talk about something completely different before we get started on the on the sermon today. Uh, In case you don't know me, my name is Mark, and I happen to be the chairman of the pulpit committee. So we've had a series of activities that have been ongoing, so now is an appropriate time to give you an update on where we are in this process. (laughs) Somebody else wants to help me, I can see that. (laughs) Okay, so we've had a series of meetings. The team, we put together, for those that may have not heard, we put together a pulpit committee, and we have had a series of meetings, and together with this group, we've been setting up a process, going and laying out how we're going to go through this, developing some information that we needed to develop before we even posted the position. Uh, We went and developed uh, questionnaires and those kinds of things that we were going to or that we intend to use both in written response phase and, and verbal interview phases and those kinds of things, so we've been working all that process stuff out. Then in the more near term, we, once we had that, we and for those that may not have understood, we had to wait 30 days before we could post a position because of the church bylaws. So that kind of puts a little gap in there. But during that gap time, we are trying to get our process put together. So once we got past that 30 days uh, and we were able to create a, a, a posting on churchstaffing.com, so that posting has been up now for almost, uh, well, it's about two weeks now. And I'm happy to report that within the first two days, we had you know, several applications <laughs> for this position. So that's good news. That means that we'll have to do a lot of work in our committee, but that's okay. We're up to that. So we're in the middle of uh, the first review of all those uh, applicants. And in fact, this afternoon, we're gonna hold another meeting uh, to go through our first uh, review phase of the process. So hang in there. Uh, we're making good progress. It's going to take a little bit, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll be, uh, we're trying to be methodical. We don't want to take too long, but we don't want to be too short. Make any knee-jerk uh, decisions. We certainly want to be following God's guidance We want to be led by the Holy Spirit in making this decision because this is an important decision, obviously. So, with that, I'll set that aside. And before I set it aside completely, (laughs) I do ask that you continue. And I know you folks have been praying for this process. Continue to pray. Please, please pray. We covet your prayers throughout this. We need the wisdom to go in the right direction. So please pray for the future pastor, whoever that person is. God knows who it is. God knows right now who it's going to be. Pray for that person, that person's family. Pray that they've been released by God to come here. And, of course, pray for our team (laughs) that we are diligent and have wisdom from the Holy Spirit to go through this in an effective manner. So, thank you for that, thank you for that. Now you can clap, that sounds good. I accept that, I'm good. (laughs) Anyway, so. uh, Today we're, as I mentioned, we're starting a new series that will extend through Easter and beyond at least to the following Sunday. And this series was going to be covered by myself this Sunday and next Sunday, and then Pastor Daniel for the second two Sundays. And we're calling this series Intersections of Love. So we've been on a real theme here (laughs) since the first of the year. We've been talking about love. And everybody likes to talk about love. That's a wonderful thing, right? But you're probably wondering what I mean by the phrase intersections of love. Where am I coming from when I say that? So maybe the first thing I should do is to explain the use of the word intersection in this phrase. Now I know this is a pretty common word, so this is, this is not a stretch, but uh, being an engineer, I always try to define my terms first. So we'll, we'll try that. So if, uh, if you grab your dictionary... Actually, today, you know, we don't use dictionaries anymore. We Google everything. So if you put in your search box, define intersection, this is probably one of the first things that's going to pop up that you're going to find. A series of definitions of what the word intersection means. The first thing that might pop up on your screen is intersection, a place where things intersect. (laughs) Now, Don't you hate it <laughs> when, when the definition uses the root of the term that you're trying to figure out? Now, this word is pretty easy, but you try that on a really tough word, and you're going, what? Anyway, a place where things intersect, especially a place where two or more roads cross. Okay, that's, that's pretty clear understanding. Another definition might be the point or locus of points. <laughs> so we're now in math land here. A point or locus of points where one line, a surface or solid, crosses another. Eh, probably not applicable to what I'm going to talk about today. A uh, third definition is a set that contains elements shared by two or more given sets. Right now you're all flashing back to your math days. Oh, set, set. I remember a teacher talking about a set somewhere. From, anyway, that's more a mathematical application of the word intersection. In other words, what's common to two sets, that would be the intersection. The act of intersecting is another definition. (laughs) A cutting or dividing or crossing across as the intersection of a map by lines of latitude or longitude. You might, if you went and looked closely up there, you would see some maps with lines of latitude and longitude on them. Or the last definition, a place of crossing, specifically a point that's common to two lines, or a line and a surface, or a line common to two surfaces, such as a house at the intersection of two roads, or the intersection of two geometrical lines or figures. Okay, I've done enough to you now, that's enough schoolwork, we'll move on. But since I'm using this word intersection metaphorically for a spiritual application, I would say that either definition one or five (laughs) we'll work with what we're going to talk about today, which is the most common understanding of the word. So right now you're going, why did he go through all of this? I don't understand. I know what intersection means. (laughs) Anyway, in this series, we're going to consider opportunities that we have to share God's love when unique situations cross our path or intersect with our daily lives. Okay? Okay. Again, unique situations that cross our path or intersect our daily lives. Now, first, we're going to kind of go on a uh, a review period here. <laughs> I want to get you to think back if you were attending services back in January, February. Pastor Jay was uh, started a sermon series on love. I told you that we've been focusing on love for a series of weeks now. And in that series, he spent quite a bit of time addressing the concept of God's love and how it works out in our lives, which is the important point. We intend to expand these concepts or expand upon these concepts in this new series. Now, if some of this is a little fuzzy because you're going, oh, I don't remember those sermons. This is the time for the shameless plug for the Bridge Church YouTube channel. With the YouTube channel, you can go back and watch all those sermons to get up to speed on all the ground that we've covered thus far on the concept of love. But I'll bring a few of these points up this morning to support what we're going to talk about later on this morning. Pastor Jay in those series sermons challenged us with the question, what is love? And to answer that, the key is to set aside what culture tells us. I mean, we're steeped in culture with the social media and and everywhere in the world is available at your fingertips, and we have lots of information coming out of places such as Hollywood and and the media and the movies and stuff to, to tell us what love is from a very young age, unfortunately. However, it's more instructional to us and more beneficial to our lives if we set all that garbage aside and to focus instead And what the scriptures have to say about what is love. Now one of those scriptures that Jay used was found in the book of John. And chapter 15, verses 12 for 13, which we should have on the screens. Okay. So you can read along as I say, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now that's a command from Jesus. That's a pretty high bar. (laughs) That's a very high bar. It's an extremely high bar for us to try to meet. However, we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Remember, we can't do th- those kinds of things in our own strength and our own power. We need to be filled with God's Spirit to be able to achieve those kinds of goals. I have another verse for you this morning, which unfortunately is not on your screen. But it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and I'll read it. It's uh, chapter 5, 43 and 44. By the way, uh, I'm reading this morning from NIV. If you you care about those kinds of things. Um, So, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now there is another high bar. (laughs) You know, these are really, really strong admonitions addressing our character and how we relate to others that we come into contact in our day-to-day lives. And that's got to be one of the hardest things to do. I can't think of much that's harder. To love your enemies, that doesn't come natural. To put the needs of others first. Through our sacrificial actions, well, that's easy to do if it's someone in our family? But your enemy? That's really, really tough. So with those thoughts in mind as an introduction, let's shift to the focus of this series more specifically. Over the next few weeks, including, as I mentioned, Easter Sunday, we will look at examples of love in action. Key phrase, love in action. Examples that we can learn from and think about. And these will be familiar examples, things that we've read in the past in the Bible, well-known examples, but yet we want to dig in a little deeper and really think about how that translates to our lives today. And for this first week, we'll look at Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan, that parable, is found in the book of Luke, chapter 10. I think it starts in uh, my, verse 25. Okay, yeah, it starts in verse 25 through 37. So let me just go ahead and just read through it, and then we'll step back and we'll kind of dig into some points that I want to draw out towards the end. So, so we're in Luke, chapter 10, for those turning or in your apps as I would normally do. <laughs> um, starting with verse 25. Now, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And I will say right here, parenthetically, that in some translations, you'll see the word Pharisee. So uh, could be a, a lawyer from that time or it could have been a Pharisee. But anyway, someone who was an expert, knew the law inside and out. His job was to test Jesus and take him down, so to speak. (laughs) So this expert stood up and he said, teacher, he asked. Maybe sarcastically, we don't know. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded with, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The expert answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But that expert, he wanted to go to the next level. He wanted to justify himself. So in the scriptures we read, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now this is where the story gets interesting. (laughs) In reply, Jesus said, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead alongside the road. A priest happened to be coming down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which was about two days' wages at that time. Today it would be 100 million denarii. But anyway... We're all suffering from inflation. I couldn't resist putting that in there. I'm sorry. (laughs) So he took out two denarii (laughs) and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you. Trust me. (laughs) I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have taking care of this man. So Jesus went on to ask, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So when I reviewed this, I found like seven points that I want to go through to kind of draw out. Don't worry, we're not going to be here all afternoon. We're not going to be, trust me, (laughs) we're not. (laughs) But there's seven things I want to kind of draw out from this parable that really fit in with our lives today, that really translate to the world that we're in today, right now, this minute. And the first one is is one that many of us suffer from in this busy, busy world. And then that first point is don't let the busyness of modern life prevent us from being able to help. This parable tells us that a victim was first spotted by the priest and the Levite. But they chose not to help and they just passed by on the other side. Now if you're not familiar with the term Levite, that would be someone from the tribe of Levi, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And he would have lesser ceremonial duties. So he's kind of like an assistant to the priests. So he was still involved with the religious ordinances of the day in the Jewish faith, just like the priest was. So there could be many reasons why both the priest and the Levite decided not to help. And I would be surprised... if it wasn't the fact that they thought or they told themselves, you know, I'm just too busy. I don't have time for this. I've got places to be, people to see. I've got work to do. I'm too busy. I don't have time to help this guy. That's one possibility. I'm speculating. I'm reading into the text, but that is a high probability. And they probably rationalized it to themselves. Well, I'm not just busy. I'm busy doing God's work. What better rationalization is there than that, right? In our minds, in our feeble minds. (laughs) I'm too busy. Too busy. Well, many of us are doing lots and lots of church-related stuff, which is good. But when a person we encounter needs our help, are we too busy to help them? If we find that we are, that's an indication that we have taken on way too much in our daily lives. And we need to start prioritizing and looking at things that, well, you know, <clears throat> you, know you, you know about the good be- and, the, and the better being the enemy of the good and all that kind of thing. But, you know, we just need to learn to prioritize what is the most important thing that we should be doing. Now, this doesn't mean that we burn ourselves out helping every single person who needs our help. Some people's problems are well beyond certainly my abilities. <laughs> and are best channeled to somebody who has expertise in the particular area that that person has a need in. But we should reconsider our lives if we have no time to help anyone at all. The second point is, (laughs) don't waste time trying to figure out who your neighbor is. (laughs) It's a waste of time. Okay, don't try to figure that out. When Jesus told the expert of the law that he has to love his neighbor, the man asked Jesus who he was referring to by the word neighbor. (laughs) He suddenly got very nervous, I'm sure. He asked that question because he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to feel good about himself. In other words, he knew that there were people he does not want to love and he wanted to justify himself that those unlovable people are really not his neighbors, because yeah, Jesus is putting them on the spot here. Okay? Therefore, with that line of thinking, it would be all right not to love them if he could kind of put a box around who Jesus means by neighbors. Okay? However, Jesus, he did not answer the man's question directly, which is an important point The purpose of the parable is to answer the question who acted like a neighbor and not who is my neighbor. The way Jesus turned that question around is of great importance because when we define who would qualify to be our neighbor and who would not we immediately decide who we should show love to and kindness to and who we need not to. But if we decide to be a neighbor, then we no longer define who our neighbor is. Instead, we show love to everyone. No more wasting time deciding who I'm going to love and who I'm not gonna love, who my neighbor is, who my neighbor isn't. We're called instead to show love to everyone. Amen. Okay. Now, along with that, third point, (laughs) we may not particularly like who we're called to love. It's just a fact. I'm sorry. It's just a fact. Jesus not only told the parable to teach that we should show love to everyone, he seemed to deliberately choose the Samaritan in this story. The Samaritan was chosen as the kind person in the story. Why? Doesn't he know that the Jews hate Samaritans and would have nothing to do with them? Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Heck, she reminded Jesus, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So was Jesus just not getting it? You know, what was the problem here? Well, of course he got it. He's God. He knows everything, right? Jesus wanted to show that even though the Jews hated the Samaritans, and in return the Samaritans would naturally be resentful because of that, the Samaritan is still kind to the Jew. In other words, show love even to those you hate or those that don't care so much about you. Okay. Now we can think of lots of examples In today's world especially, we can think of lots of examples. Trust me. But imagine, just kind of go on a visual or a mental journey with me. (laughs) If that sounds scary, I'm sorry. But anyway, imagine that you're a Ukrainian today. And you're trying to evacuate your family on foot out of Kiev, through the countryside, heading west, hopefully to the border, to get your family out and along the way you come across a smoldering bombed out Russian tank and there alongside the tank someone tried to crawl out is severely injured and you're looking at a Russian soldier now what's your response what's my response That's a difficult scenario, right? I mean, it's very vivid in our minds right now, all the terrible stuff that's going on in Ukraine. And we need to continue to lift these people up in prayer. It's hard to believe in 2022. But the point being, would we render medical assistance to the Russian soldier? That is the contrast that Jesus is trying to pull out With this parable. Those kinds of things that are just as vivid to us today as it was in this story between the Samaritan and the Jew. Heck, today you could just translate it directly into Israel and say a Palestinian and a Jew. So there's many, many different contexts that we could look at this today. Point four. Our actions to show love must be effective. Yeah, right? I mean, that's what we would all hope for. We want to be effective when we show others love. We can show love in our daily lives by meeting felt needs. In other words, things that the people on the response end of your love really need. They're in dire, desperate situation for something. So we want to be effective in meeting that need. The Samaritan showed love to his neighbor in a tangible way. The robbery victim needed one thing. He needed medical attention. Okay? And the Samaritan gave that to him. Now, it would be strange. It would be kind of strange if, you know, this Samaritan saw the, the poor bleeding guy there on the ground. He leans over and he goes, hmm, Wow, man, that guy hasn't had a haircut in a while. Maybe I could get him a haircut at the 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 local uh, Jewish barbershop or something like that, you know? Now, that's, that's kind of a silly example, but... <clears throat> Yet, we often go doing kind deeds for people without first asking if our deeds are targeted at the individual's needs. For example, you know, there might be someone who's very well off, but yet very isolated and lonely. They don't need gifts from us to feel better. They need friendship. They need your time to be a friend more than they need you know, a Starbucks gift card <laughs> you know, or something like that, you know? I think that's an easy point. And point five, prayer is fulfilled, at least in part, by our actions. You know, a sovereign God can do what he's going to do in the way that he chooses to do it, but we have a part to play in that. We are, in many cases, the instrument that he uses to impart love on people in need. So, prayer is fulfilled by our actions. We need to show love by meeting needs in a tangible way. The Samaritan did not go over to the Jew and pray for healing. Oh, pray for you. Be well, my son. (laughs) No, what did he do? Instead... He did the obvious thing. The guy is bleeding to death. You know, the scripture tells us he's half dead, which means, you know, he needs some help. He needs some serious help. So, instead, he attended to his wounds. Prayer is good, but if we use it as an excuse to do nothing, it's not so good. In fact, you could even say it's bad. Is prayer bad? Can prayer be bad? Sounds kind of controversial. However, think about it a little bit. Sometimes we meet someone with a need which is within our means to help, and because it appears unkind to do nothing, we just tell the person that, I'm going to pray for you, brother. I'm going to pray for you, okay? As if that alone would make the person feel better or meet the need that that person has. Now, don't misunderstand me. (laughs) Prayer is an important component of everything we do to try to help people. But there's another way of looking at that that we need to focus our mind on and make sure that we don't use excuses when opportunities are put in our way to help others in a tangible fashion. James warned us about this in his book in chapter 2. So chapter 2 of James. Again, I don't have this on my, on my screens up here, unfortunately. So bear with me. Again, it's James chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Chap- chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. You may be familiar with these words. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, <laughs> but does nothing about his real physical needs, what good is it? I mean, that's, that's about as clear as Scripture gets. <laughs> that's very, very clear. So, Point six. Our actions will come with a cost. Now, the good Samaritan met the needs of the victim at a high personal cost. He had to give up his time. He may have been on a tight schedule. He had a big board meeting maybe he needed to go to in Samaria. I don't know. Uh, You know, his reputation could be lost if he didn't get to where he needed to go at an appointed time. Again, I'm speculating a little bit here. But later on, very obviously, because it's in the Scriptures, he had to give up money, his own personal money, which he gave to the innkeeper so that the victim would be looked after. Now, many of us have a desire to help others, and we should try to meet those needs. But at the same time, we should also understand and accept the cost of doing so. It's often impossible to meet someone's needs in a tangible way without having some kind of cost imparted to you. Of course, it was our Lord Jesus Christ that set the ultimate example of this. He met our needs for forgiveness from sin by paying the highest price possible. His life on the cross for us. His loving sacrifice should motivate us, highly motivate us, to be willing to pay a cost for meeting others' needs knowing that whenever we are kind to others, we're indirectly being kind to Jesus. We see this in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Again, here's another scripture I don't have on the screen, but you can turn there if you like. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 37 through 40. you did for me. I I can't think of much else that would motivate me more than pondering those words and trying to put those into effect in my personal life. And finally, point seven, to be able to walk this walk that we've laid out through this parable, there's one more thing that we need. We need compassion. We need compassion in our lives, in our hearts, before we will be led in our, in our own uh, unction to help others. We need compassion in our lives. parable told that the priest and the Levite saw the victim and walked to the other side. But when it came to the Samaritan, he saw the victim and he took pity on him, even though... A Samaritan is not going to naturally show pity to a Jew. So there had to be something else going on there. He took pity on him. Without compassion, it would be so difficult to help others. If we're hardened, if we have a hardened exterior, and we have a hardened heart, we're just not normally compassionate to others, loving others. It just doesn't seem to come natural. With compassion, or without compassion, it would be difficult to help others. So when it comes to compassion, if you want to look around for a modern-day example, although she's been dead for a number of years now, I could I could point out to you Mother Teresa, who was a Catholic nun who worked with the poorest of the poor in the country of India for most of her adult lifetime. From her early twenties, she saw this tragic need in in that country and spent the rest of her life trying to help those people. This lady helped so many people by depriving herself of many things. She had nothing. She had nothing but the clothes that she wore and that was it because she had compassion. She could not bear to turn her back on anyone who went to her for help. And that compassion first came to her when she encountered the conditions that the extreme poor were suffering in India. So we too should ask God for a dose of his compassion so that we too are also motivated to help others. Even in the case like today of the Ukrainian situation that I postulated to you a few minutes ago, even in that situation, we should have compassion. So let me close with a quote from Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. who said, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? So frequently in our lives, we arrive at situations where we will either ask the question, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Or if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You know, I had this situation occur to me just a week or so ago, where I was down in Pocatello, traveling back to Idaho Falls, I had some place I had to be. I was on a very tight schedule, needed to be back in Idaho Falls in such and such a time and uh, I, I pulled off the road down to Ford Hall had to make a phone call and there's this poor guy you know he's in a business suit he's got a very nice vehicle and he's looking at his front tire and he's going man that thing's going flat you know and I drove by went down after I made my call went down the other way went on to Idaho Falls Was that an example of what I've been talking about today? You know, I, you know, should have helped that guy. You know, know, he was an older guy. He's in a suit. I mean, he was dressed up. He was not in jeans. He was in a suit. You know, so, you know, that opportunity went by me. I had an opportunity to help. And I missed him. So I think about that. So I encourage you to think about these kinds of situations and, and, and try to take, take encouragement and direction from this parable. We're all on our own highway. It's just ironic that this happened on Interstate 15. So <laughs> that was definitely a highway metaphor. Anyway, we're all on our own highway through this life. And we have many, many opportunities to take action, like the one I just mentioned, and show love to others. Therefore, we should slow down should slow down. Recognize those opportunities that God puts in our path and take loving action that effectively meets the need. And when you do, you're going to find yourself at the intersection of God's love. Thank you. Now if you're in need of prayer, you're welcome to come down here to the altars. We have a prayer team that will pray with you. I'd encourage you to do so and I also encourage you to stick around you know after the service we have plenty of time available to you to fellowship go grab some coffee meet some new friends make lunch plans do whatever you're welcome to stay as long as you like although sooner or later we'll have to lock the doors but I mean, you get, you get the idea so let's close in prayer our Heavenly Father Lord, you call us to a very high place. You call us to love everyone that we come in contact with in our lives, to not be selective, to love our enemies, even though that's so hard to do in our flesh. But we can do all things through you, Lord. We ask for your strength to do so. Father, we just pray for this week coming up, Lord, and those opportunities that we have throughout this next week, Lord. We just trust in you to strengthen us, to guide us, and to direct us on our paths on this highway that we're on, Lord. We just give you thanks today. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, I ask that you bless them and strengthen them. Lord, just provide their every need this week, Lord God. Bring them comfort. Bring them love. Bring them provision. Lord, we just ask that you just draw all of us together as a family, a family that shares, a family that shows love, a family that cares for each other, a family that's willing to step out and do what it takes, even though there's costs involved. Lord, we just pray that you'll continue to guide us and direct us and to knit this family together by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just give you thanks today for everything that you've done. We acknowledge you in all things, And we give you thanks in the matchless, the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.